Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. What does the number 666 mean? That is the question that we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, spokesperson for the CSB. Uh, here with my co-host, as always, Trevin Wax, the Bible and Rever- Reference Publisher for B&H. And today we are discussing, uh, Trevin, perhaps the most confusing and terrifying number of the Bible, 666. And so it got me to thinking, if you get a bill for $6.66, or you get a hotel room that's 666, or you get uh, 666 people following on Twitter, does that freak you out? No. You know, the only thing that really freaks me out is if I'm staying at a hotel on the 14th floor, and I know it's really the 13th floor. <laughs> Yep. And if it's Friday the 13th, I mean, I'm just, that's when I'm really on the lookout for ladders to avoid walking under black cats. You know, that's <laughs> just kidding, people. Um, no, anyway, we, we need to take a look at this passage in its context. The number 666 appears in Revelation 13, 18, but I'm going to uh, start at verse 11 of Revelation 13 in the CSB. Uh, then I saw another beast coming out, coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Okay, so that was not out of a sci-fi novel. That was actually out of the Bible itself. Apocalyptic language. That's right. So uh, let me me just say on the front end here, we want to acknowledge that we try to keep this podcast around 20 minutes, and so therefore... um, there are times where um, it's going to, we're not going to get into everything we need to get into. We're not going to be uh, able to get into every little nook and cranny. We're not going to be able to explain everything necessarily, but um, we want to try to do the best we can here. And so um, when we look at this, one of the things we need to understand too is that um, the number 666 could also be 616. Uh, actually, the earliest manuscripts we have have 616, not 666. So, um, even even that, the number may not even be the actual number that was in the original manuscripts that John wrote down. Uh, so in the CSB, for example, you have 666 in this text, but there is a footnote that says uh, other Greek manuscripts read 616. So when translators of any Bible translation are trying to decide how to render a text, they're going to consider uh, the different tra- uh, manuscripts that we have, what the variances are, and they're usually going to go with the one that has the most manuscripts. So 666 appears in the most that we have. So that's why it's going to show up there. So anyway, uh, with that with that in mind, we're going to go through uh, three kind of major views here, even though, again, we know there's probably a hundred views of how this could work out. So, Okay, so the first view is sometimes called the futurist view because it views this whole section, the, the idea of the mark of the beast, as something that's not yet happened. 
that it relates to a future Antichrist who will prepare the way for Jesus's return. This is left behind type stuff right here. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think we want to uh, um, separate it out a little, a little bit. bit more. Yeah. Okay. yeah I, I, I don't think we want to necessarily say that this is, oh, yes, left behind would definitely be futurist. Mm-hmm. Not all futurists would be left behind. Oh, that's good. Okay, but they think that. they would be left behind. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, no, John is, according to this view, John is talking about something in the future. So 666 doesn't represent anything that would apply to his own time. This is uh, popular in many churches, particularly holds weight in the with dispensational leaning crowds. Um, most of them see Revelation, the entire book, as a depiction of future events. At least like or most of chapter the four through the end, yeah, at least. Yeah, that, yeah. That's right. So um, some some theories on this have suggested that the mark of the beast could be some kind of worldwide currency or designation. So, you know, they, they say that I, I've even heard people speculate maybe the, the mark is some kind of a microchip that people would have to wear uh, or at least have in order to spend money. It could be it could be a way of uh, claiming citizenship or allegiance to a particular worldwide government. You know, everyone has to pledge allegiance to the government, mm-hmm. kind of like people had to do the pinch of incense to Caesar back yeah. in the first century. So anyway, 666 might or might not be the literal number, but the first view would say this mark, whatever it's going to be, has something to do with the future. It's a sign that Christ will be coming soon. Um, so in short, this view says 666 is part of the key to unlocking when and how Jesus will return. Yeah, there's something there that's going to give us a clear indication that Jesus is coming yes. back anytime. Okay, view number two. Yeah, view number two. So this view, uh, sometimes it's called the preterist view, although uh, similarly with the futurist view, that can mean a lot of things. Preterism carries some baggage with it. There are preterists who say Jesus is not coming back. Or that he's already returned. Yeah, or that he's already yeah. returned. So there's, there's a lot of but things. There's partial but, preterists. So. Yeah, so this yeah. would kind of fit into the idea that there, that it's, it's more situated in its historical context. Um, so the idea here is that 666 is referring to a particular person or object in John's time of writing the book. So... So the last view would say something like the mark of the beast is something that's going to occur later in relation to this future Antichrist, uh, something like that. But this view actually would say it's it's in the direct context of Revelation's writing and, and John's immediate audience. So, and this actually is where the the variant numbers of six 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 and six one six can come into play. This is this is one of the views that that those two variant readings of the text can uh, lead people to, to believe this view. Uh, so it takes a little explanation. So hang with me here. This is the most show notes we've ever had for a show note for a show in our lives. But, well, I, I um, never realized this, though. So this, this is really interesting explanation. I had not come across this. So you're saying one of the reasons there are variants in the number, whether it be 666 mm-hmm. or 616, is because the way that people um, did code with the numbers right. was leading to this. Okay, so explain yeah. that. Yeah, so so um, proponents of this view would basically follow an approach called gematria or gematria, uh, which is this idea of, of assigning numbers to certain letters. Uh, so the idea would be that each letter in a name has a numerical value. So if I were saying uh, Sam, for example, if Sam, if S equaled 10 and A equaled 10 and M equaled 10, Sam's name would equal 30, 10 plus 10 plus 10, right? Uh, so so it's not that simple. There's different numbers for every letter and, and it can be in different uh, values depending on who you ask. Uh, but basically, so the idea would be um, in this view that 666 would be representing uh, somebody's name. So the verse does say, you know, that it's the, it's the name of a person, the 666. Uh, and so 
this view would say that so it actually represents the number of a person. Right, the number of a person who uh, represents a person's name. So representing uh, here, they would say it represents Nero, who was the Roman emperor, uh, you know, who was notoriously evil and violent, persecuting Christians, probably worse than any any um, Caesar had. And so Nero may have been dead by the time Revelation was written. So this is a key here. Uh, if you take that Revelation was written earlier, around like 65 AD, this fits really well. If you believe a later date, uh, which I would probably lean toward and a lot of scholars would, of, of more of this written 95, 96 AD, well, that's long after Nero died. Uh, so the question would be then, um, if this is talking about Nero, is the is it d- dated earlier? Or um, some people would say, you know, Domitian was this was the ruler in the later 90s, uh, the later first century, and he was was a kind of Nero. He would be considered a type of Nero because Nero was kind of this archetype for this evil uh, Caesar who persecuted Christians. So it is possible that even even if you um, think that Revelation was written later, this could still be about Nero even after he was dead because of the way that he uh, the way that he ruled and, and how he set a precedent for that. Um, so obviously Nero would certainly qualify as a beast, right? Because of how evil he was, how he tried to thwart God's purposes. Uh, and, and proponents of this view would also point out a few pieces of context in the passage. So for example, Revelation 13 has something to do with buying and selling, right? Um, and so this is similar to the point that the first view would make that there's some sort of economic governmental thing going on here. Uh, but if you actually looked at the Roman coins, the current Caesar of the day would have his name on the coins. Uh, and so the idea here is that in 666 and 616, depending on what side of the Roman Empire you might be on, Nero's name might be spelled slightly different if it's in Latin or Greek or Hebrew or whatever. And so that could be why the numbers are different. One manuscript might be from a different part of time. Uh, and so either way, it's still referring to Nero, referring to this coin that has Nero's name on it. So that could fit into the economic thing. Um, so that's more or less the second view, the best that we can probably uh, nail it down for these purposes anyway. So basically 666 represents Nero. And so John is telling his audience to remember that Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. You can't have allegiances to both kingdoms, just like you can't love money and you can't love, you know, serve two masters, that kind of idea. So Okay. So first view. If it, let's future. wake everybody up. They're probably asleep by second, now. Second view. No, I think everyone's wide awake. Uh, <laughs> second, second view being the past. Uh, third view, this is called the idealist or figurative view. Uh, it's similar to the previous view that, that says that 666 is symbolic. Uh, that, 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 but they would this, the people that are for this would say that trying to add up the numbers to reveal someone's name is a waste of time because it's really easy to manipulate the numbers. I mean, you could get the spellings to add up to any number that mm-hmm. you want. So this view says 666 has universal or symbolic significance. So it's not about some future code to break before Jesus returns. It's also not a code to break to understand which person in the past the number might represent. A lot of proponents of this view say that 666 is used intentionally in contrast to 777, which is the number understood to be completely perfect. So God's number, if you take perfection, seven, uh, God's number is 777, right? The Trinity. 666 would then be an unholy Trinity. Three numbers added together that are just short of 777, just short of per- perfection. So uh, the the idealist view or the figurative view would sympathize with both of the other views and saying, yes, 666 does represent something or someone that's anti-God, but it's a more generic contrast to God's good purposes of redemption rather than um, um, a particular person, either in the past or the future. Right. Uh, oh, well, we have one scholarly uh, uh, source that I want to read from. We could to, not quote G.K. Bill when talking G.K. about Bill Revelation. G.K. Bill says 
The repetition of six three times seems to indicate what might be called the completeness of sinful incompleteness found in the beast. The beast epitomizes imperfection while appearing to achieve divine perfection. Three sixes parody the divine trinity of three sevens. The beast as a counterfeit Christ and the second beast as a counterfeit prophet. When believers successfully resist the beast's deception, they avoid being identified with the essence of his name, which is imperfection personified. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, so let's... Take a position. Okay. The best we can view? anyway. Yeah, I, I can start. Um, so first of all, I'd say the way that I'm going to view this is going to be the way that I've tried to view Revelation as a whole. So first of all, you have to understand that John is always using numbers and symbols. And and everybody agrees with that. Most people um, would agree that that there is some sort of code to much of the numbers that he's using. Now, there are some who you know talk about this you know as, as kind of a purely prediction book, right? That everything happens in the future. Uh, but we do we do miss that it's a book rooted in its time if we just look at all the numbers and everything as in the future. The other problem is, and this is a problem we all have, is looking at the numbers and trying to figure out which ones are figurative and which ones are literal. So is 666 just figurative about somebody, but the thousand year reign of Christ, is that literally a thousand years, right? So there's all these ways that numbers play into it. Uh, but I will say the audience of Revelation, uh, this is what kind of starts to influence my view, is, is the audience of Revelation is living under strong persecution in most places in the empire. And so they're being challenged by a government to bow down to Caesar. You see that in the letters that Jesus uh, writes to the churches at the very beginning, these these ideas of, of not bowing down to the wrong lords, not idolizing the culture, those kind of things, uh, not looking for ease out of persecution. Uh, and the heroes of Revelation, they weren't passive listeners to a book that wasn't really about them, right? I mean, this book was was written to them. Uh, I would even say chapter four and after, at some level at least, definitely is written to them, not just the churches in Asia for the very beginning. Uh, so all that said, I'm going to lean toward uh, somewhat of a, of a hybrid view here. I, I'm going to definitely lean toward number two. I think there is something here to representing Nero's name. Something um, of a hybrid. Something like, of a that's hybrid. That's always my position. I know. If okay. you've listened to this podcast, you know that hybrid <laughs> positions are pretty much okay. the norm here. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. So I've trained you well. You, yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. So I would lean toward number two, definitely in the sense I do think there's something that has to do with Nero's name here. Um, I think the manuscript evidence gives us that clue. Some of the archaeological evidence and historical evidence gives us something uh, to look at there. Uh, it does say in the text that, there, that if you have wisdom to understand, you can break this code. So there is something in this text that tells you there is a code to be broken. Uh, so we need to understand that. I mean, John tells him very clearly. Some numbers, he doesn't say that. This number, he says, hey, if you have the wisdom, you can understand what this number means or who the person is that this number uh, is referring to, right? So, um, so it seems to play on a person's name here. It tells them that as well. Um, and so them actually having the ability to decode that number and then the fact that they should know who that person is based on the way it seems like John is talking to them saying, if you understand, you'll know this person, here's the number, etc." I do like number three though, and this is where my hybrid view comes in a little bit. I do like number three in the sense that 666 does contrast 777. And I think that... Um, I think it's N.T. Wright that I heard this from first, where he talks about the Nero thing, but he also will go into saying, um, you know, ultimately it's more of an anti-unholy trinity, anti-God type thing. Now, I think there's some truth to that there, but here's the thing, like this can be about Nero and still be about an anti-God, anti-Christ, beast, uh, unholy trinity, that kind of idea, even if you take that. Um, Even with the 616 variant, there's a whole argument about that we're not going to get into here about why 616 could still be the number of imperfection and not 666. So there's a lot there, but I I definitely lean towards somewhere in two of three. I think it does 
clearly represents something of an unholiness and anti-God type idea. Uh, but I do think Nero, Nero is in view, even if it's even if Domitian is in control at the time. Nero is this archetype of persecutor. I think there's something there that John is trying to tell them uh, about bowing down to Caesar, not giving into that government, and it's something that we can learn from today. And in some level, is is focused on all of us. So that's my best squishy view there. Okay, so um, so my my take on this. Um a lot of a lot of this is gonna and for everyone listening out there, a lot of this is gonna depend on your overall take on Revelation. Yep. Okay. If you see it mainly as a prophecy of future events, or you see Revelation primarily as a description of past events during the first century, or if you see it as an idealistic portrayal of the battle between good and evil going on all the time, I mean, your overall take on Revelation is going to influence how you yeah. you, you look at this. So let, the, there's there's that we just need to consider. Um, I will say, Brandon, so if you're na- mainly number two leaning into number three, mm-hmm. the, ma- the, the best evidence that you have for that, I think, is where John says to his original readers— you should be able to calculate the number of this person. Right. So that I think is the best evidence for number two, but I'm still going to hesitate there because I don't think Revelation was written during Nero's time. I think it was written during Domitian's time uh, in the 90s, not the 60s. Uh, so because I give a late date to the book of Revelation, um, it doesn't make sense for me to think that John is referring to a Caesar who is already dead. Um, so I hesitate. But I, I lean toward a late date, and I'd still say that, that there's potential there. Okay, I, I know. I get that. As a type of I, Nero, I get that, so. and I. Um, okay, so just just an idea. I know. I just want to plant I realize it. Let you think that. about it. So I you can that, come to one, the right view later. Once you're already once you're already using like a dead Caesar as your pro, like prototype for wicked uh, leaders, I mean, I, I don't know. I I feel like okay, at that point, you're already so symbolic. Mm-hmm. It, the, the the issue with Gematria, or you know, the whole number counting thing is the speculation is wild. I mean, everyone from Ronald Reagan to Hitler, to the European union, to the Roman Catholic church. I mean, I've seen at some point you got to say, look, if that way, if, if, Gematria can lead you to all of those conclusions, then maybe we really shouldn't jump into any of those. Yeah, that's fair. You know, so I would, but I'm also going to hesitate to say that this is only having to do with a future antichrist, because like you said, John, expected his original readers to be able to know who he was talking about. So I don't see the futurist view as being as literal as the futurist people like to sometimes uh, make it seem yeah. seem that they are when they're talking about the end of time. So uh, it had to make be a number that made sense to John that wasn't just making sense at the end of time. So, okay, all that said, because I've eliminated basically one and two, mm-hmm. that lands me, I, I'm going to land more on the figurative or the idealist view. And the reason why and this is fascinating to me in my own study of this, is that you get widespread agreement on this from people from vastly different understandings yeah. of Revelation. So like a dispensationalist, a progressive dispensationalist like Danny Aiken, on the one hand, will affirm an idealist like G.K. Beale in his commentary on Revelation and yeah. say this is the number of man, symbolically, right? Uh, and even a partial preterist like N.T. Wright will go with number three, even though, like you, he says there may have been an actual reference to Nero there. Uh, r- the way Wright says, he says, um, it's a parody. The number of perfection would be 777. Nero and the system he represented and embodied was but a parody of the real thing, one short of the righteous of the right number three times over. Uh, Jesus was the reality. Nero, just a dangerous, blasphemous copy. So... I'm kind of like you in that I see a little bit of a hybrid between two and three, but I'm going to say I'm on I'm I'm with number three, yeah. but 
looking saying there's potential for number two, whereas you're more you're going to be with number two saying yeah. there's potential with number and two. And honestly, by six months from now, I could be a full number three. So I don't think I'm going to go number one on this anytime soon, but maybe. Maybe number three. Well, it's just so. hard to deal with that section where I mean, where John yeah. says you should be able to calculate this number yeah. and know who he's talking about. But. Yeah, and I, and I do tend to lean more and more toward the more I'm studying Revelation, more and more toward partial preterists. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, I mean that's that's still loaded, but yeah, I mean, as far as the, I, I feel there's more symbolism and more historical situatedness than it's given credit for uh, by a lot of people. That's so what I'd say. Now, my burning question: How do you preach or teach this passage? Yeah, so um, obviously Revelation is tough. Um, I I don't I, I primarily don't want to get bogged down in the interpretations here, right? So I don't want to try to start speculating necessarily um, who six 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 might be. Now I might bring up some of these ideas. Um, I like to help a congregation think through the various views that they could see this with, or the various things they could hear or address. Like, oh, I could you could read it this way or this way, and it makes sense that you would read it that way. Uh, but ultimately, I don't want to get too confusing. I don't want to get too hung up because I think regardless of what view you take here, I think we can all agree um, that the book of Revelation is rife with language about God redeeming all things, about no government being able to stand against him, about no nobody being able to thwart him, not the Antichrist, not anybody else. Um, and so I want to focus on that and say, look, at the end of the day, um, there, the, regardless of who the beast is and who his friends are, um, there are always people who are against God's purposes. There are always governments and leaders and ideologies that are going to try to get you to bow down to them over God, whether it's politics, whether it's a particular leader, whether it's a particular worldview or whatever. So I just want to highlight primarily here that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. I love that phrase. Who's, who, whose phrase is that? Is that McKnight or Wright? Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. That's more right. Yeah. I think, yeah. So I love, I love that language. I think... Um, and I think that's what it means for us today, and I think that's something that is always applicable uh, across all different cultures and times. So, uh, Trevor, what about you? Yeah, I, I say very similar to, to the way you would preach and teach this. Um, I, I mean, the, the main focus here: Jesus is the real deal; the be- the beast is the parody. Uh, it, and I, I would also it, try to emphasize the things that would have brought inspiration and comfort to the original readers. Yeah. Uh, no matter how bad things get, Jesus is king. That's the the major thing you want people to walk away with, mm-hmm. with Revelation in general, I- including this passage. Yeah, yeah. Revelation, the end of Revelation is just so such a clear picture of who wins, who's victorious, what we have to look forward right. to, how we look at persecution, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Trevin, thanks as always for hopping on. Thank you all for listening. I hope this was somewhat helpful. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.